the Lord has spoken. We will do and we will understand. Asa Shaman. Last week. What's written in here can be followed. We and I can live this life. You really can. God said, if you love me, if you care about me, if you open up to me, you can live this life. The reason you and I can live this isn't because we can do it, it's because He can do it. You see, that's the whole point. It's not about works, it's about opening up to God in a very real way, it's about being completely His. By the way, it's not about being perfect. It's about being wholehearted. You see, a lot of people go, I love God, I love God. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. That's all of them. Anything less is lukewarm. Anything less is half-hearted. So if you love God and you're empowered by God, you can do this for two years. You're going to find over the next two years that it will be like tuning the radio dial in perfectly and you're going to start hearing the voice of God like you never have before. It's going to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We are going to be the church he wants us to be. And when that happens, people are going to come from all over the world to find Christians who live it like this. Let's pray. Lord, as we dig in today, may we sense more than ever your You're helping us. You're calling us to true faithfulness. And may our hands and our hearts and our minds and everything within us just be open to you. May we just let go and let you move. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what we're talking about is for two years being people who are truly, totally committed to the Lord. No lukewarmness, no half-heartedness. If you're a little bit unfaithful, you're unfaithful. If you lack in faithfulness, then you're unfaithful. We don't want that. You don't want it. I don't want it. God doesn't want it for us. And so the desire is for all of us here to say, we are just not going to allow ourselves to be a church that's lukewarm anymore. We're going to say that everybody who comes here, we all together agree we're going to follow God wholeheartedly. That's what we want to do. And so Paul then in Romans chapter 12 says that you and I are to be living sacrifices. Now, how does that turn out? He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We don't want to be conformed to the world. We want to be transformed. And so that's what we need to do. And then Exodus 24, 7 is one of the theme verses we're going to talk about where it says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered in the heart of man what God has prepared. Or I'm sorry, that's 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared amazing things for you. And I want to have you know these amazing things God's prepared. Now here's the point. When you and I love God, This Bible tells us that this should be a description of our life. So I'm going to ask you to think about this today. Do you read this scripture and go, wow, some of these things have happened to me? Just like it happened to Peter, just like it happened to Paul, just like it happened to Elijah. Some of these has happened to me. And you ought to find that being the story of your life. And we want to have that happen. That's where Exodus 24, 7 comes in. All that the Lord has commanded us, we will do. We will assaw, and then we'll understand. Almost nothing in Scripture, nothing in Scripture can truly be known unless we do it first. But as we do, 
than we understand. As we're faithful, then God's blessing comes. And that's what I want you to grab hold of. We're in a world today that doesn't get that. And it seems like the world more and more and more is moving further from God. Uh, We found a video. Pam and I were driving in the car home from Vegas and she starts laughing. She goes, you got to hear this. And she played this video for me. And I thought, I've got to show it to you. So this is from a TV show called Family Feud. Steve Harvey's the host. Watch this. All right, guys, here we go. We've got the top six answers on the board. Name something that gets passed around. Chris. A joint. A joint. (laughs) 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 Can I leave? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chris, I don't know what hundred people you thought we were talking to at some nice little mall across good old America, but I'm pretty sure the people didn't tell the survey people, hey, an illegal drug. Let's turn around and see how many weed heads are out there with Chris. A joint! This is when you know we're going to hell. Okay, Tracy, only four answers topic, so. The collection played at church. Now she's got the halo and I got the horns. I like the, I like, I like the way you tried to stop us from going to hell. That's, you, Mr. You Evil Boy, passing, a, passing around the little thing with this funny smell. Looking for some saving here. Church place. Oh. It's, it's less than the joint. This is not good. I love that. This is not good. My favorite line is, this is why we're going to hell. Yeah. But you know what? It's interesting how, honestly, you see that all of a sudden the survey goes out amongst middle America, and they're going, wow, you know what? We pass around our drugs, and we forgot all about God. I mean, we're a society so removed from God and thinking of God and, and giving to God. Wow, that just is like off the radar. Why, why would we do that? And you know what is, I, I want to ask that question today for all of us. Why would, why would we give to the Lord? Why would we be faithful to him? Well, the Lord tells us, Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And what the Lord is saying, Jesus himself is saying is, if I want to measure how much you love me, I want, the first place I'm going to look is, are you faithful in this area of your life? If I, you and I, if we want to know how on fire our church is, one of the places we measure is how faithful we are in what's called the tithe. The tithe. The tithe is the first 10% that comes in. If God gives me a dollar, I give him 10 cents back. It's not my money. If God gives me $100, I give $10 back. A thousand, I give 100. The first 10% that comes in, God gets. And it should be without question that I would just do that and give that to the Lord. 
If I love him, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And if I love the Lord, I'll do it. Jesus said, it's a measure of your heart. And, and, and please, I want you to really, really think this through. Jesus warned about a people who honor him with their lips, but their heart was far from him. And so God says, I want you to give a tithe to me. You ready for this? God also says, then above the tithe, you should give an offering. Now, what's the offering? The offering is what you give to God because he's blessed you so much. You, the tithe you give to him just right away. He says, do that. But then as God blesses you in your life, then you give to him an offering. And people who love God just do that. But, but here's what we've got to ask then. How many people... How many people are faithful in that area of their life? Well, a survey was done not that long ago, and they found of people who say they're born-again Christians, 2% tithe. 98%, that's by the way in the United States, 98% don't. 98% don't. Nazareth was telling me that he's not only a part of our church family, he teaches in an Arabic church. And he said the Arabic church thinks that the church in the United States is lukewarm. And one reason is everybody in that church, they don't have any money, but everybody there ties. That's one of the things. I, I was talking with a, a girl one time, and it was interesting because she was a part of a group that we don't agree with, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She was a Mormon. And, and uh, so anyway, by the way, I'm, this will probably get some of you upset, but Mormons aren't Christians, okay? And uh, I don't care. We're not running for politics here. I don't care if I'm never president. But... Um, uh, <laughs> I'm talking with this girl and I'm saying, well, you know what? Honestly, you guys aren't Christian. She turns and looks at me and goes, but you don't even tithe. And I go, yeah, I tithe. She goes, oh. She goes, oh, you're the first one I've said that to and it didn't work. You know, <laughs> and, and the reason is she would use that to shut Christians down because she would say, look, we're faithful and you're not. Well, well, I want to ask the question, why not? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. I mean, the pretty clear. It gets even clearer. Matthew chapter 23, look what Jesus says here in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, you give of the first 10% of mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Did you catch that? Jesus said you should tithe. Whenever I have someone say to me, well, tithing's not in the New Testament, what did Jesus just say? You should. By the way, the word should there is a command statement. I'm commanding you to do that, but don't neglect the weightier provisions of the law. And what are the weightier provisions? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Let me ask you some, Crossroads family, does Jesus want us to be a church of justice? What's the answer? And faithfulness? Oh yeah, and mercy? And tithing? Oh yeah, no doubt. It, you can't take one and throw the other out. I love how the New Living translates it. Look what it says here in Luke, or in the New Living, Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you were careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important matters. Did you catch that? He said, you should tithe, yes. Jesus could not have been clear. I want you to tithe. 
I want you to tithe. You got to do that. Now, you can't neglect the weightier matters of the law, but this is the least of these things. By the way, every now and then someone will come up and say, you know what, Pastor Chuck, I I really appreciate you, but you got to realize, I had someone say to me, a tithe isn't biblical. And I'll go, oh, it's all through the Bible. Well, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, the tithe is in the Old Testament. I said, really? And I said, what are you trying to say? You're trying the tithe is in the law. And they go, oh yeah, it's in the law. It's in the law. And, and therefore, we don't have to do that. I'm going, oh, really? Well, first of all, let me, let me make sure we have an understanding. The law starts with Moses. It was given to the children of Israel. Prior to Moses, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, who, by the way, was a type of Jesus Christ. If you read Hebrews, when he gave to Melchizedek, he was actually tithing to Jesus. So Abraham actually was tithing to the New Testament church. That's what that's teaching is. So Abraham tithed prior to Moses. Jacob tithed prior to Moses. Then Moses comes and he does institute the tithe and the law, which was just a part of loving God. But it's not just the tithe. There's the tithe, the offering, the distribution, and the vow. There's four kinds that are within the law that you give to God. Then, then it's in the law with Moses, but it's also in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs teaches us to tithe, but please don't miss this. The book of Proverbs is not law. The book of Proverbs is the wisdom of God for all people, all times, and all places. You don't just go, oh no, that's in the book of Proverbs. I don't follow that. No, you need to follow the book of Proverbs. Then Jesus said we should tithe. Paul said we should tithe. The writer of Hebrews calls for the tithe. So it's all throughout scripture. You can't, you can't say, well, it's just in the law. But when anybody says it's just in the law, they don't understand what they're saying then. Because I want to have you make sure, we're going to try to get deeper as a congregation. So let's get this theological foundation in place. When we look at the law, did Jesus throw the law out? The answer is no. As a matter of fact, he warned that anybody who did away with even one smallest stroke or letter from the law would actually be someone held accountable for that. And you might say, well, then do we get our salvation from the law? No, we don't. We get it from Jesus Christ. So what's the law have to do? Are you ready? The law reveals the heart of God and what we understand are the principles of the law and how we enact them in our lives in the New Testament. Let me give you an example of that. In the law, it says that one day a week belongs to God. In the New Testament, seven days a week belong to God, right? In the law, in the law, it says, you shall not commit murder. Do we all think that's a good idea? Okay, you shall not commit murder. In the New Testament, you shall not even be angry with your brother or call them a fool. Do you catch the difference between the two? You go to a higher level. Uh, In the law, it says, you shall not commit adultery, And Jesus in the New Testament says, well, you've heard you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm telling you not to lust. And then in the law, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. In the New Testament, love one another as I have loved you. That's a little bit higher calling. Don't you agree? In the law, give the first 10% to God. In the New Testament, give him nothing. Does that sound right? Do you think that kind of breaks the pattern a little here? And by the way, it's just... Not even close to what the Lord's talking about. We need to be a people who are faithful. And as a matter of fact, remember what Jesus said, you should go ahead and tithe. He's telling the Pharisees, you're right to tithe, but there are bigger issues. That's the least that you should do. That's the basic. You need to go to the heavier matters of the law of loving God 
But, but think about this, Luke 16. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. In other words, if, if, if the tithe is the least of the commands. And by the way, it is. The tithe is the least of the commandments. And if you and I are going to be faithful in the little, in the least, well, guess what? You'll be faithful in much. But if you and I are unfaithful in a little or the least, we're going to be unfaithful in much. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. If I want to know how faithful you are, if I want to know how faithful you are, well, I'm going to look at what you do. Uh, let me just kind of hit something here. You ready? I have every now and then someone will come up. Matter of fact, it's fairly often and say, um, when the persecution of the church hits in the last days, how do I know if I'm going to be faithful? When all of a sudden it becomes illegal to be a Christian in the United States, which it will, and, and literally it could cost us our lives, how do you know you'll be faithful? And I, I already know the answer. You ready? Because if you're a faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. You know, the only reason, I can tell you right now, everybody here, if you're being faithful to God right now, you have nothing to fear when the others come. God will give you the, the strength to do it. But if you're unfaithful right now, I gotta, I mean this seriously. I, I'm serious. Why would you think if you're unfaithful in an easy time like this that you'd make it in the end? See, that's why it's more important than ever we say no more lukewarmness here. No more lack of faithfulness. It's time to let go and be God's. Uh, you probably have heard the old story about the guy who was standing and looking out over this amazing, amazing scenic view as he stood on the edge of a cliff. And all of a sudden, the cliff gave way and he goes falling and he reaches and grabs for a tree branch and he's holding on, dangling. And if he falls, he's actually going to die. I mean, there's no way he'll survive. And, and, and the, the branch is muddy and slippery. And so he starts screaming, can anybody up there help me? And all it does is echo off the canyon. He screams again, can anybody up there help me? And it echoes back and no one answers. And now he knows he's going to fall and die. And he screams out, Lord God, help me. And a voice says, I will. And he's like, God, is that you? And God says, yes, it's me. He goes, oh God, help me. And God says, I will, just let go. And the guy screams, can anybody else up there help me? You know? <laughs> Are you ready to let go? Are you ready to totally surrender? Are you ready to say, God, there are some times you call for me to do things and I don't think I understand, but you're ready. In, under, in doing the Asa Shema, Exodus 24, all that the Lord has commanded we will do, and then we will understand. In doing, we understand. We begin to experience amazing things from God. By the way, just so you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says that the tithe is for us today. Uh, uh, look what it says, 1 Corinthians 9, 8. He's talking about the fact that the Corinthian church is not being faithful in the way they're giving, and it's time for them to do that. It's time for them to give faithfully to God. And in verse 8, it says, I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? He said, it's, this isn't my opinion. I'm not giving you my opinion. And so he says, does not the law also say these things? By the way, real quickly, for those of you who go, oh, that's law. You're misunderstanding. Paul said, I'm not giving you my human opinion. If you look at God's law, you see the truth. So, see, we, we need to not just throw this out completely ever. 
You need to look at what the law teaches and understand it in a New Testament sense. But you don't just pitch it aside. Paul uses that as a statement of authority. Verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or, verse 10, Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Now what Paul is saying here is, What Moses wrote then is also for us now. This is good for us to know. This teaching, he says, I'm about to dig into is something. It's not about an ox. You're missing the point if you think it's about an ox. It's about something more, and it's for us to know it. And then he even reiterates that. He goes, yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of the sharing of the crops. If we sowed spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all these things so that the cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul said, you know what? I, I haven't been using my right over you, but I could. And those who are ministering to you should. That's what he says. And you should be giving faithfully. If spiritual things are happening in your life, one of the ways that you show you love God is by giving back to him in a physical way. Verse 13, do you not know that those who perform the sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly at the altar have their share from the altar? Verse 14, so the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Now notice there in in this verse, in verse 13, he's referring to the temple and then the tabernacle. Do you know what he's referring to there? It's called the Levitical tithe. Levitical tithe. And he's saying, if you see the Levitical tithe in the temple, that applies to the church today. That's who we are in the church today. What Paul is saying is the the church is the temple of God. The church is the storehouse of God. And if you see that in the law, you know today it's for us too, that we would give that 10% to God and then we would give an offering beyond that. That's what Paul's pointing out and we need to understand it. The question is, do we love God enough to obey his command? And then this is an honest one. I'm not trying to be condescending. Do we trust him? I know a lot of people are going, wait a minute though. I, I, 10% is a lot. That's hard. And how am I going to make it? You know, you're barely hanging on. What am I supposed to do? And you know what God says? God says, trust me. Let go and trust me. Let go and and see what happens, but be faithful in this. And by the way, God does say that. In Malachi chapter three, verse eight, God's referring to the fact that they're not giving their tithes and offerings. And he says this in verse eight, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? Everybody who says that they're a follower of Christ and not giving, you're robbing God in tithes and offerings. And God's looking, going, what are you doing? You're robbing me. He says in verse 9, you are cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. There's a curse that comes with that. Then God calls out, he says in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings until it overflows. God says, would you trust me in this? Would you let go and just do this? And and when you do, amazing things begin to occur. God says, I'll open the windows of heaven on you. By the way, over and over again, God promises to bless us if we're faithful. Proverbs 3, 9 through 11 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth, which is the offering, 
And from the first of all your produce, which is the tithe, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God says, I want you to do this and you're going to find something happening that no one can explain. You're going to find something happening in your life that's beyond human explanation. You give to me and only have 90% left and turn around and you've got more. And you go, how could that be? It will only happen if you and I are faithful. If we do what the Lord says, if we say yes to him. By the way, verse 11 says, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe as a reproof. He says, don't reject me in this. Don't reject me in this. And by the way, the word discipline is where we get the word disciple, a disciplined one in following God. And God says, I want you to not reject this amazing discipline in your life. Do this, do this, do this. If you honor me from your wealth, the first of all your produce, your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. You'll experience that. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah the prophet was sent to a woman in Zarephath. There was a famine in the land and people were literally barely making it, many dying from it. And the Lord said, I want you to go to this particular widow. And Elijah comes into that city and he sees her gathering wood and he calls out to her, would you bring me some water? And she goes, yes. And she turns to get it. He goes, would you give me some bread too? She stops holding the wood and she looks at him and said, I'm gathering this wood because I only have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And I was gonna make one last piece of bread for my son and I, and then we were just gonna die. That's how close to the end she was. We're, we're, we're gonna die. And Elijah said, go do what you said, but you give bread to me first. He said, if you do that, then God is going to take care of you through this whole time. The flour will not run out and the oil will keep being replenished. And she does it. She goes off and she makes the bread and she brings it back and she hands what she thinks may be her last piece of bread to him. And he eats it and then he has her go back and there's flour and oil. And she keeps going and keeps going. And how does that happen? It's called a miracle. By the way, what we've said is this. When you and I listen to God, these kinds of things should happen in your life. But you got to be faithful. You got to trust him. You might go, but wait a minute. I can't afford it. And you know what? Praise God, you're in a better place. There are some of you here who can afford it. Those of you who go, I don't know how this will work. Man, you're, you're going to get blessed. Pam and I, back in our younger days, when our boys were little, uh, we were barely making it. And we had decided to do the Ramsey thing and go to all cash. And so uh, I, I went and cashed our, my check to get our spending money and our food money. And I put my wallet on the car and drove off and it just flew. And uh, I didn't even know it. I'm in the office. I get a phone call and a guy goes, hey, I found your wallet. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I think everything's in it. I said, is the cash in? He goes, oh no, there's no cash, just your driver's license. And I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding. So I went and got it from him and thanked him and went home and I said, Pam, we have no money for food for two weeks. I don't know what we're going to do. And uh, Pam said, well, we'll be okay. And, and I said, well, um, we haven't given our tithe check yet. Should we hold it? And she goes, are you kidding me? She looked at me. She goes, are you even asking that question? And, no, you know. <laughs> well, I was. I mean, what will somehow still get? She goes, no, that's God's money, Chuck. She goes, we'll make it. And I go, we don't have any food. She opened up the cabinet. She goes, we've got green beans. I'm like, oh, you know. And, and she just said, that, I'm not gonna even discuss this with you. 
By the way, I want to say something. If you're a husband here, do you want to be the spiritual leader in your home? You look at your wife and say, honey, we're tithing. I don't know how many women come up to me and say, I want to tithe, but my husband won't. I'm telling the men in this room, man up and tell your wife we're going to tithe. You know, just do that. That's what men do. By the way, you might say, you didn't do that. Well, that tells you a lot me at that moment. And uh, so anyway, we, we go to church that Sunday and by then I've repented and my heart's right and I give. And, uh, you know, I thought, Lord, I'm glad we did this. I just don't know what's going to happen. Well, that we came back on Sunday night and uh, a man walks up in church and he said, uh, Pam, can I talk to you a second? By the way, I told nobody about this. Nobody. And, and he calls Pam over and he said, uh, hey, and he reaches and grabs her hand and she feels something in it. He said, you know, it's the strangest thing. I got home from church today and the Lord put on my heart that I needed to come back tonight just to give you this. He said, God bless you. It's from the Lord. And she looked at it. It was the exact amount of money we had lost. The exact amount. And it's a, it's a first king. By the way, see, those are the kind of things that happen to you. This is, it starts happening in your life. You don't read the Bible and go, oh, that was cool back then. You go, oh, these things happen today which is what we want you to do. We want you to tune in today. This two years is about tuning in to God, about being his people in reality. And when you and I do that, what happens is God blesses in amazing ways. Now, I want you to think about something with me. What would happen if every single person in this church died? What would happen if every single person in this church died? Think about it. Because we've been thinking about it. We believe that God wants us to be a faithful church. And we believe that when that happens, that we'll be a blessed church so we can bless others. And, and, and here's where I'm going, that we already do a lot of things. And, and I love what God's allowing us to do. But we believe there are four areas or four envelopes using the Ramsey idea that we could plenty, put money into and then be able to do amazing things with it. Now, I want you to think about that. If everybody here tied, what would we do? And I want to tell you ahead of time so you know. Number one, we would have an envelope that's called eliminate debt. Eliminate debt. Our church family has got too much debt. We want to get rid of it, eventually all of it. In the last four years, we have paid down $2 million of our debt. Okay, we've done that in four years. If everybody here was faithful, we will actually double it. In the next two years, we'll pay it down $2 million, or $4 million, two more million dollars of debt in the next two years. And what will happen is by paying down the debt that much, we will have $43,000 a month to spend on ministry that we don't have to put in interest. That's a big amount of money. So we could pay $2 million in two years instead of two and four, and that would happen if we're faithful. And by the way, that would also begin to snowball and we'll pay down our debt really, really fast. So we'd have an eliminate debt envelope. We'll also have an envelope called extreme makeover. Extreme makeover. Now, now what is that about? Well, God has blessed us with beautiful property. As a matter of fact, we are on 55 acres of property that four years ago we almost lost. It was the hand of God we have it. Other churches lost theirs. But because of God's faithfulness and your faithfulness, this land exists for him. We believe we should be faithful with this property. We should use this property as a ministry to people. And if somebody goes, oh, it's about buildings. No, buildings are tools of ministry. And, and if you're not aware of it, there are 200,000 people in driving distance of this church that need Jesus. 
And so what we're talking about is using our, our property to reach out and to touch lives and, and maximize it completely. Uh, we had a, a man I led to the Lord, our design architect, come in and he said, what would God, how could we use our property best? And, and we came up with this master plan as we prayed over it. Now, let me tell you a couple things real quickly and I'm not gonna get into all of it. First of all, a lot of you look at that and go, and not a lot, some of you look at it and go, why is there a water effect at the bottom? Man, are you guys extravagant or something? You know, and, and, and here, let me tell you why that's there. Are you ready? From the back of our property to the front is an 85-foot drop in elevation. That's a, that's a pretty big drop. That's, and by the way, if a lot of water gets moving and going at 85 feet downhill, that's a lot of water. So the city, the city rightly, will make us have a catch basin at the bottom because while you and I are into baptism by immersion, they don't want us to do that to our neighbors. So does that make sense? So you ready? We could at the bottom build a huge cement catch basin that would cost millions of dollars or for less money than that, we could have this water effect at the bottom that's beautiful and you could come and pray at it and your family could play at it and we could baptize people in it. And, and still save our neighbors, and, and it would actually save us money. You understand? Well, all the reason I'm bringing that up is all the things on that drawing were done so that things would be done in a more effective way. They would be, create better ministry. Uh, we want to, by the way, in the next two years, if our church is faithful, we're going to redo our children's area. Uh, there are 20-some, yeah, raise God for that. There are 20-some thousand children we're trying to reach out to plus the ones we have. We need to have better children's facilities. They need to be cleaner. They need to be uh, uh, nicer. They need to be modernized. Uh, uh, they need to be more effective for kids. And so you know what? We would pay all cash for that. We would pay all cash, no more debt. Just make sure and pay that off. The other thing we would do, by the way, is the Plex up here is our most used building. And, and it's a beautiful building, but it needs a makeover. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a room in the Plex that's a scary room. I, I went into it once. Don't think I'm ever going in again. It's called the women's restroom. I think women have gone in there and never come out. I mean, it, you know, but, but we could fix that up plus the whole building up. Do you realize something here? Ready for, that Plex is used all the time, morning and night. As a matter of fact, on Monday night, 227 junior high students were in that building. And... So we could fix that up. We could fix up the, the fellowship hall. We could make this campus nice. Uh, we could fix up our parking lot. I know a lot of you like the off-roading effect, but we could fix that and pay all cash, plus our street improvements. By the way, you ready? Southern California Edison has finally put us in the queue and released us to get ready to move the poles. That's a praise. There's a, a problem though. Two weeks from now, we write a check for 66,000 plus we get ready to go into a one and a half million dollar building project. Now, because of all in, we have half of the money. But if everybody here was faithful, we could pay cash for all of it and not have to have any kind of program. Just, and plus do all the other things I told you. If we're all faithful, we could do that together. Now, so we could eliminate debt. We could have an extreme makeover. Are you ready for this? We could have a more effective ministries happening. We could have more effective ministry happening. Now, I love the ministry that's happening here now, but we could go to a whole new level. Real quickly, our children's ministry, I love, but they're understaffed. And they're understaffed for right now. They're definitely understaffed for the next level of growth. And we have the people we want to hire. We've looked them in the eye and said, you would be incredible. We could touch children's lives by hiring more staff. Our, our generate ministry is one of the, my, the favorite areas of the church for me. 
You know, on Wednesday night, thousands of the next generation of students gather in this building. Uh, two weeks ago, over 27 uh, made decisions for Jesus Christ just on that night. And we could create more effectiveness in there if everybody here was faithful not including special needs and all the others. So we would just see all of our ministries be more effective over the next two years. Now, the fourth envelope is the one I want to talk about the most. It's called Empower Change. Empower Change. Now, right now, I think most of you know that my wife, Pam, and Lisa Mitchison, who heads Global Outreach, and Mike Long, one of our executive pastors in Nazareth, who's a part of our church family, they're at LAX right now getting ready to fly to Palestine. Now, do you know why they're going? Because there's a, a, a family there that's trying to care for Palestinian orphans. And if you're a Christian Palestinian orphan, you're left out. The Islamic people will not care for you. The Jewish government does not care. These children need to be loved. And this family is floundering. And when we got word to them that we are really praying about coming and helping you, I want to say this, they cried. Please help, please help. We can make a difference in those children. We can rescue them from extreme poverty. And by the way, the Islamic community looks and says, see how Christians care for their own? And they mock us because of it. We can become a light for Jesus Christ in that area. And, and there, our prayer is, is that you're going to be faithful. That's why our team is there investigating, getting ready to do it. And we can go and change that. And, and I hope and pray you're going to say, I want to be faithful. No one of us can do it. We can all be involved and make it happen. By the way, the, the, the Islamic neighborhood in Anaheim, the second largest Islamic population in the United States is in Anaheim, California. And I'm, many of you already know this, but, but there's a, a ministry group down there and they've been leading people to Christ, but no one's been supporting them. They're a great group of people and, and, and they're effective in what they do. And what happened is they got down to the very, very last. Their, their jar was empty. Their oil was gone. Their flour was over. And they thought, we're gonna have to shut our doors. And then we heard about it and we got a hold of them and said, do not shut your doors. And so we paid for September, we paid for October, we've kept them open. Crossroads, because of you, they still are ministering in that area. We want to take it higher. We, we're, not, we're talking about partnering, and we're talking about our going and making sure Jesus Christ is preached in that area in a way that's effective and amazing. And if we're faithful, we're going to tell them, you keep going. They, by the way, this summer, they asked us to put on a five-week Christian VBS in the Islamic neighborhood for Islamic children, all about Jesus. Are you ready? They said that the issue would not be getting kids to come. The issue would be there would be more kids than we can handle. And when they said, can you come and do a five-week VBS? I said, no, we're not ready. But if you're faithful, next year we'll do it. Next year for five weeks, we'll preach Jesus in that neighborhood. Do you know what's gonna happen when that occurs? If we're faithful, we can do it. By the way, if you wanna go on the Palestinian trip, you gotta work in the VBS. I mean, I think it's a cool trade-off. But, um, but, but we'll do that. There are so many things God is opening the door for us to do if we would be faithful. The Cronenorco Rescue Mission, Adopt the Block, our prison ministry, a juvenile detention center, uh, uh, really making a difference. But maybe to me, if I were to think of all of them and all of them get me, every one of them I look at, I go, Lord, this is awesome, this is awesome. By the way, let me, I'm gonna take two minutes on this. There's a place in Manila called the city, or outside of Manila called the City of Refuge. Right now, one of the blights on humanity is called sex trafficking. 
And uh, there are young girls and boys that are literally kidnapped and used as slaves. And the IJM, the International Justice Mission, has been freeing these children. And they've been effective in freeing children. But here's the hard thing. They have nowhere to put them. You know, when a child is treated like that, they need a lot of intensive care afterwards. And so they bought this piece of land and they put up a fence around it to keep the pimps from coming and kidnapping the kids and to keep the kids because they're so, so scarred and wounded from running away. And they built these, one section already has this houses on it, two or three, and they put the kids in homes to be cared for and counseled and loved and, and treated as family and then to rebuild their lives. And they're sitting there with about maybe a tenth of it built and nine-tenths of it still to be built. And you know what I want to do? I want us, because we're going to be faithful, to, to call them in the next two weeks and say, get ready, Crossroads is going to pay for the next section of villages. So you can put children in a place of care. By the way, right now, we already pay for five beds in Redding, California for girls who have been rescued here in California from sex trafficking. Did you know that? We pay for that right now. I would love to call and say we're upping, upping it to 20. I really would. We could do this. But maybe without a doubt, with all of the joy and wonder of us being able to be a part of that, the one that gets my heart the most is this one. Um, Nairobi, Kenya is a place where over 100,000 children are living on the streets. A child on the streets usually dies by age 13. They're orphans because of AIDS, wiping out families and villages. And no one to care. A few years ago, God put it on Pam and my heart that we couldn't just sit back and let this continue to happen. And so while I was still at CCV, I asked the church there, do you want to do something? And CCV responded and, and we jumped in and we took a team of people and, and, and God opened doors and, and we established a work there. And just as the work was kicking off, I got the call from Crossroads by our elders here saying, would I come here? And I got to tell you, there were all sorts of things. I thought, I don't know if we should come. I don't know if we should come. And I'm so glad we did. I love this church. I'm glad we're here. But I got to tell you this, is that that was one of the hardest parts is what about Kenya? And so uh, I told our elders, I said, if, if God really wants us here, then you have to agree that this church will get involved in Nairobi. And the elders have said, that, well, we'll do that. I mean, we, we would love to be a part of that. Four years ago, we were helping no one in Nairobi. Today, because of your faithfulness, 500 children are being cared for right now. 500. 500 are being fed, clothed, taught about Jesus, given an education. 500 children now have hope. And, and you know what? Is, uh, I love that that's happening. Um, when Pam and I first went to investigate just what could occur there, we brought a team with us and we were walking out of a, a hotel. I tell this all the time because this was life-changing for me. And we got into our van and then the other group got into a car that was over here. And just as we got ready to go, I watched a little boy about this high carrying his sister on his back and he looked like he was three years old. She looked like she was one. Now malnourishment can affect that. They were literally in tattered clothes, barefooted. And they walked up to our car and he held out his hands with his sister on his back and you know, you're always told, don't give them money, but man, there isn't one of you here that wouldn't have said yes. So our team started handing money to this little boy. And I said to Peter, our driver, I said, Peter, do you think someone's sending that child to beg? And let me tell you what I thought. I was hoping so. 
Because I don't want that little boy to have to try to care for his sister. I don't want to be in a world like that where kids are treated that way. And um, we decided to wait and see. And so our car drove off and we watched this little boy and he looked at the money. Carrying his sister with one hand now, he went up the steps of an abandoned building and sat on the porch. And I'm not kidding, he just sat there looking at it. He had no clue what to do with the money. He was so little. And I thought, God, we're, we're about to drive away. But I hope somehow that boy is one of the ones we end up helping. And I don't know if he was or not. I pray that he was. But I can tell you this, 500 kids got helped. Well, our team was just in Kenya this summer and Logan Duarte shot a picture we want to show you. The picture you see is of children that are on the other side of the gate from our compound where we care for children. 500 is really too many to have and so we can't let any more in at this point. Every child you see on that side of the gate wants in. I'm not, and by the way, this isn't put on. Those are real faces of kids that we could help tomorrow in a month from now, in a year from now. Do you know what? Crossroads, if you're faithful, we'll take down that gate. If you're faithful, we'll go from 500 children to 2,000 children in two years. And I want to tell you, it matters. It really matters. Do you know who it matters to? I think you all agree. Does it matter to God? It matters to God that we as a church would do this. And some people go, well, what, what's going on in the world today? And I got to say, I wonder if the Lord isn't asking that question. Looking at us and looking at other churches and saying, what are you doing? Get faithful. Just get faithful. And then I'll open up the windows of heaven on you. Get faithful and I'll change your life. By the way, do you catch where we're going with this? If you and I trust God, if you and I are faithful to God, then individually we get benefited and blessed and changed. Our lives transform. It's amazing what God's about to do to us. And then we as the church become conformed into the image of Christ by being faithful. But we need everybody to do this. And, and if you're not faithful today, I want to ask you, why not? Do you realize what's waiting for you if you would just say yes to God? Some of you for the first time. Some of you, you know what? You, you, you've actually, I, last service, I had a man stand before me. I was a little shocked because I know him and he starts crying. He goes, Chuck, you're right. I haven't been. He starts crying. He goes, what's wrong with me? And I said, man, let's pray about it. You know, we just need to be faithful. And I'm going to ask you today to not hold back in any area of your life, from the least of the commandments to the greatest, to say, God, I will follow you with everything I have. Jesus, if you died on the cross for me, I'll never hold back. Now, if everybody in this church gets serious, get ready for where we're going. Get ready for what that will mean. I mean, we are going to be used by God. And I think God has called us for that. You see, the thing is, is, is we've just said, our elders said, God, okay, we'll be faithful. We'll do this. And now all these amazing opportunities have come our way. And let me say this as clear as I can. You matter. You matter. So if you're here today and you're not 100% the Lord's, I'm gonna ask you to commit to him. And if you're here today, and you've never met Christ, I'm going to ask you to commit. How do you do that? I'm going to lead a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me and say yes to God. Yes, God, I'll do this. Yes, God, I'll be faithful. Let's pray. Father, I ask 
for your Holy Spirit to come in this room. And I ask, oh God, for you to stir, to touch our hearts. Lord, I pray we would be a faithful, faithful church made up of faithful people that every man and every woman in this room would be yours completely. And it's not about us doing this on our own. It's about you empowering us, God, because we love you to be able to do these things. And Lord, I just get amazed about how you want to use this church family. So I pray and ask, God, that you help us, that every person here, every person here loves you with all their heart, mind, and soul. Every person here is faithful to obey your commandments. Every person here trusts you, even when it's not easy, because that's what trust is. So God, I pray right now, if there's somebody who needs to commit their life to you, or if somebody right now, Lord, needs to, to recommit their life to you. And Father, right now, if there's someone who's here who's never, they, they said yes to you, but they didn't follow through completely. I pray, God, today they would. And I pray you'd touch right now every person who needs to pray this prayer, that they would know in their heart they need to. I'm going to lead that prayer of commitment right now. I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, would you whisper it with me? Just think God loves you. He cares about you. He wants you. Would you pray this prayer with me right now? Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me all my sins to heal me from all hurt and all pain, to free me from fear and from worry, to make me alive, to make me brand new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. Yes, I want this, and yes, I want you. So I open my heart to you, Lord. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And make me completely yours. Help me be completely faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And praise God if you prayed that prayer.